Hello, everybody. That's Carly Ozard singing Carry On, her free song that she's offering right now on her website, carlyozard.com, C-A-R-L-Y-O-Z-A-R-D. One of my best friends and an amazing singer and performer and comedian. Super talented. Check it out, carlyozard.com. Hey, how y'all doing today? Hope you're doing well out there. This is Ray Ray, Ray Renati, your host of this podcast, Green Room on Air. It's all mine. Boy, oh boy. It's been snowing. Snowing in my neighborhood. Well, not really. A half hour away in the Santa Cruz Mountains, which almost never happens. It's happened maybe three or four times that I can remember in my lifetime. And this time might be the most snow up there ever. Although I think in 1978, it snowed quite a bit. And in 1962, a few months after I was born, it snowed like three feet. But we got one foot of snow a half hour from my house. But I'm not going to tell you where I live. Because I don't want people rushing the, the front door here. Given my celebrity status and all. Great. But, uh, yeah, I went up there. My wife went up one day, uh, the day after it snowed, and it was perfectly sunny and warm. And she built a snowman, and we got videos of her playing in the snow, just like a little wee child. And I went with a friend of mine to San Jose and took some pictures and I took some photos of the mountains, Santa Cruz mountains. And it looked like uh, I was taking pictures of the Sierras, which was hilarious. So uh, the next day I woke up early and I, I drove up there and man, it was windy and raining and freezing. And there was still snow. Most of it had melted near the parking lot of, um, Montebello Ridge, which is a like a county park near the top of the mountain. But uh, yeah, I went out there and I went hiking. Thank God I had gloves. It was freezing. I went for about four miles. I was going to go further, but I, f- I was afraid. Like, man, I, I didn't bring any food. If I hurt myself, I'm going to freeze to death. So I stopped and turned around. But I went up to the top, almost to the top. And uh, there was a lot of snow up there. I could have skied. Literally. I, there, were, there was a hill I could have skied down if I had brought my skis. Incredible. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime situation. That's right. Man, I, I hope our drought goes away. God, we've been in a drought since I can remember. Practically my whole life. I think since about uh, 19... Well, I'd say... Hmm, 78 or so. I can't remember not being in a drought. Incredible. Now, if this doesn't take care of it, nothing is, nothing's gonna. Because this, this, we've had a lot of rain and a lot of snow, and it's raining again. God doesn't make those little green apples. No, wait. No, that's not the right song. (laughs) What's the, oh. Raindrops keep falling on my head. 
But that doesn't mean my eyes will soon be turning red. Crying's not for me, cause I'll never stop. No, I'm never gonna stop the rain by complaining. Because I'm free. Nothing's worrying me. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Anyway, that's enough of that. Let's get uh, let's get to uh, talking about my guest, who will be here in a moment. In today's episode, we're excited to have the talented San Francisco Bay Area actor Cassidy Brown as our guest. Cassidy has acted in the top theaters all over the Bay Area, including Berkeley Rep, TheaterWorks, SF Playhouse, and many others. He's currently in the midst of rehearsing a new play called Tea Party in San Francisco, which is being directed by the director, Aaron Merritt. She's doing this in a very unique and inspiring way, and we'll hear all about that. Additionally, Cassidy co-hosts a podcast called All the Answers with his good friend Katie Rubin, where they discuss theater and life. Check it out if you're interested in exploring the intersection of theater and spirituality. Now, folks. Sit back, relax, but if you're driving, don't relax, concentrate, and enjoy the conversation as we go behind the scenes with Cassidy Brown. You have this new show you're doing called Tea Party? I do. Let's jump right into it. Absolutely. Let's hear uh, about it. Okay. Well, we're doing, uh, we're doing this show. It's, uh, it's quite a story sort of behind the show, but the show itself is actually the most interesting part. Uh, Aaron Merritt, the director has been uh, championing this show for over 10 years. It was a show that was written quite a while ago. But what happened was people, when it was first written, thought, oh, this this is science fiction. This is crazy. This isn't reality. <laughs> and it's about sort of the, the political divide and the, the sort of political violence and sectarian violence and how we divide ourselves into like, progressive and conservative or whatever. And uh, that that can lead to some pretty scary outcomes. But back when it was written, it was around when the tea party was a happening thing. So it's Uh, called tea party. Okay. But it actually doesn't make any direct references to that, to those exact moments. It took a theorized. uh, What if things went a certain way, could this end up happening looking more, more like a civil war or something like that. And it has literally only become increasingly more relevant and less outlandish, uh, the things that happen in this place. So here we are now, and I think it was written well over 10 years ago, and it it feels less crazy than it ever did before. So you think yeah. when someone wrote it, they're like, oh, they wrote this because of January 6th. No, 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 he wrote it a long time ago. He saw it coming already where things were going. So, yeah. Well, I think there's a direct connection, it seems, to um, to that possibly, uh, you know, to the, the, the actual Tea Party time and what we have now with MAGA. Absolutely. That's set up the shift in energy of from being like more Reagan pseudo reasonable. Oh, we're conservative for these reasons to a more just like, no, nope, we want power and we want to believe in our tribe and we want to do what we want to do at the cost of everything else. 
Can you tell me about the rest of the cast? Uh, we have a great cast of of Bay Area folks. The way this show came together was kind of interesting because, um, I mean, one of the sort of background stories is that Aaron, the director, is 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 she's I'm just going to say it. She's suffering from ALS and has sort of speeded up her own personal timeline of wanting to get something produced because her at some point she will no longer be able to direct. So she sort of pushed it a little harder and got gathered some people together and a bunch of people gathered and raised money to put on the show. So we have sort of an ad hoc production company. And in fact, this is what for the equity actors in the cast, this is what's called a member production code, which means we are all producers. Oh, great. so because of that, though, because we're doing it as a labor of love, we were really able to gather whoever we wanted, whoever was available and whoever Aaron really wanted to work with. Yeah. So there's a really great dynamic uh, group of people come together for it. Um, I know I will leave a name out if I don't look very carefully to remind myself of who's in it. <laughs> well, I have it here, but I just... No, that's yeah. fine. Um, I, I'm in it, obviously. Yeah. I, I play two significant roles in the show. And first half of the show, I'm one character. The second half, I'm a completely different character. Oh, that's and fun. So that's yeah. a lot of fun. I love yeah. that. Anthony Sestaro, who's this fantastic guy with a very storied television and theater career, um, who I've never worked with. And um, we've actually been working on Zoom for the first part of rehearsal because he was in Canada. Ah. So like we're making everything work as best we can. And I'm loving how it's coming together in that way. Right. Uh, Livia Gomez de Mar Gomez de Marchi de Marchi. Mm -hmm. I need to get that right. Uh, <laughs> you never Livia's call people it. by their last name, so right. It's easy. <laughs> exactly. Alifia is a wonderful actor who I've known for. I've known a lot of the people involved with this show for so long, and I love that too. Yeah, Bob Green, who I've known for probably 15, 20 oh, years, yeah, right? Work, working at the Willows Theater with him a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, Luel Senores, who I only met over during pandemic, working on a on a quick fire monologue project that I was doing where people were recording monologues on Zoom and performing them. So Luel was in that. Uh, uh, Isabel Torres, a.k.a. Isabel Toe, uh, who I had never met before this show. And I she is fantastic, a young yeah. actor that I just think the world of. And then uh, who am I forgetting in there? I think that's it. Anthony, Olivia, Bob, Luel, Cassidy. And then we even, even our understudies are all stars. Ryan Tasker is my understudy and sort of alternate. He'll be doing a few of the shows. Again, old friend who I've known for a hundred years and, and working with him has been a blast. And then our uh, uh, assistant director and other understudy is Alicia M.P. Nelson. Okay. Great. Um, so, yeah, it's a great group of folk and then a bunch of great, you know, local designers. Again, it's the because of the nature of the show and people coming together with the labor of love. I think a lot of people made themselves available to get to do this. Yeah. Dave Mayer's doing the fights. Tammy Berlin's doing the costumes. Greg Sharp and sound. Uh, Kate Boyd is our lighting designer. Yeah. Devin LaBelle, scenic and scenic and props. It's just a great group of people. Man, Dave Mayer's been doing fight choreography since I can remember. Yeah, he's, he's been the go-to guy for a long time. I've known yeah. him from back in my shotgun days, working with him right, ever right. so long ago. I think um, Livia used to do uh, shots with us. 
Yep, that would make sense. I'm sure yeah. Livia's been in shots at some point. Yeah. Um, quite a bit. I know she understudied at SF Shakes when I did it like 12, 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Great. And is it mostly a comedy tea party? Uh, it It is more of a, I would call Satire? it more of like a taut political thriller. Okay. With with a lot of humor in it, but the humor is not like comedy, like wackadoo. It's more like the comedy of absurdity and how we, Oh my God, I can't believe that they said that or acted like that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I find it interesting when I I wouldn't bill it as a comedy per se. It is definitely funny. It's got funniness in it, but it's that funny. Oh God. I don't necessarily know if I want to laugh at that. What was this play? Um, oh, it was at ACT. It was about the President of the United States. Um, I can't remember. It was oh yeah, it sim- was. Uh, I think it was written by uh, David Mamet. Right? Yes. Did you see of, that? Yeah. I did not get to see that. Uh, it sounds sort of similar. So you guys are opening on March fourth. Is that correct? Fourth, March fourth. Yeah, that is pretty darn. Uh, I mean, I think we have a, a, a preview on the second. I think we open on the third. Yeah. At the, so and it's we, um, at the, the Strand Theater and their upstairs theater, the roof. That's their big black box upstairs at the Strand in oh, San Francisco. I didn't yeah. know they had one up there. Yeah. It's like a secret room up at the top of the stairs. Um, Is it like 40 seats or? Uh, no, it's bigger than that. Oh, I think okay. it's close. To, it's around under 100 seats, but okay. somewhere. Yeah. But it's not the regular Strand Theater. No, it's okay. not just the straight. It, it's it's in fact, we're doing this in sort of a a modified thrust, if anything, or a U-shape, a horseshoe. Audience will be in a horseshoe around us. Oh, it's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. It's so three sides of having to act to three sides. Kind of like San Jose stage. That. Yeah. Or I would say more shape wise, more like the uh, Aurora. Theater. Oh, OK. Oh, Wow. So it's rectangular. Oh, I that's. Think, I think we're going rectangle and like really thrusting into that rectangle. I see. Like that's a challenge. On yeah. three sides. Yeah. That's a directorial challenge. It is. I think <laughs> it's just a way of getting more people in the space. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. That's always rough because you got to. You got to tell gotta the story rotating. to everybody. You got to make sure everybody's always getting something. Exactly. And the challenge of the central set piece throughout much of the play is a, is a table that gets rotated at different angles. There's a lot of sitting at tables. And the problem with sitting at tables is it freezes you. Yeah. So like really, how do you keep that open and yeah. available to the audience? <laughs> yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. I, I was just, I just went, I just saw the, uh, the show over at San Jose stage about Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Satchmo uh, at the Waldorf. Yeah. Satchmo at the Waldorf it was great. But um, and, and I absolutely love what they did. But I was thinking, just you know, in theater. So here's Louis Armstrong back backstage in his dressing room with emphysema or whatever he has, and you know, but he's never stops moving. <laughs> but you have to, you got to do it. I mean, you can't have him sit in one place, and no, it's not distracting. Just... But I was thinking, like in real life, like there's no way that he'd be like walking around like that. He just sits down and be exhausted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think only one uh, performer got away with it. What's his name? The monster in a box. Uh, that one man playwright. He used to just sit at a table 
I guess Mike Daisy did that a lot too. Yeah, I mean, there are people who do it and yeah. read their play and they do it to a huge major theater, but they're still just sitting in one place talking and reading. Yeah, who's the guy that used to do that? Um, the swimming to Cambodia or. Yeah, that's the guy I'm trying to think of. Uh, yeah. But like, you know, he has such an engaging, his, his, uh, just his voice, you know, his. Spalding like, Gray. There's Spalding Gray. Like when you're somebody who has this, like, such. You know, an incredible, like your main thing is your voice, you know, uh-huh. and that's enough to just pull people in. I feel like, you know, like someone like him can do that. Yeah, you can get away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he had that amazing so, command of the language. Yeah. Um, well, and we even ran into that last night where uh, the script really calls for my character in, in the second act where I actually have a cane for a part of it. A um, cane? a cane. So, you know, so I have a limp and a cane. Uh, and so it has me sitting down a lot. I see. And Aaron was just like, Nope, you're too amp. You're too amped up. You're, you can't sit down. I was like, but I have a cane. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't walk. So we can't have you just sitting there because it'll just destroy the scene. You got to Especially in a staging like that. Yeah. So what are the two roles that you're playing? So I'm playing the agent Every uh, most of the characters are named more after their function than after their own name, except for at the very end. And that's that's a key point. This is every one is sort of a, an archetype of themselves or a or a, you know, a cipher that really holds the the truth of that type. So I'm agent like a government agent. OK, doesn't say for what agency. Um, and in the second half, I'm a journalist. Uh, a European journalist, which means I had to learn a J- Dutch accent, which is not easy. No, but you know, fun challenge, loving that. So yeah, I'm agent and journalist, and hopefully people will know the difference. You know, when they see the play, <laughs> that I'm not the same guy. You're cute. I'm not doing like it's not like Thirty Nine Steps where you change a wig and a mustache and a hat. You know, it's it's subtler than that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing you in that at uh, Theater Works, right? Like yeah. ten years ago or something. Ten years ago, and then again right before the pandemic. We oh, did I didn't see years. that time. We did it ten years apart at that uh, same theater. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that looks like a fun play. It's a lot a of blast. work. <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah, like, yeah, physical for everybody. Designers, <laughs> the costume designers, insane. Everybody has to be crazy. To do you that like show. playing two characters like that? I'm sure you do. Oh, I mean, I love the super multi-multi stuff the best, like the, yeah. the wacky quick change stuff, yeah. like like 39 Steps or, or uh, yeah, shows of that ilk are my, are my jam. It's actually strangely harder to just play two realistic characters. Yeah. Because then I can't just rely on a thick Scottish brogue to say, this is a different character. <laughs> right. I have to be more subtle with my shifts and just, have you know be a real actor and actually show what, what are the intentions. what are the plays where they have the the two actors and it was like a franchise and they go behind it it's like a radio station like the uh oh what's it oh um um greater tuna yeah all the tuna plays yeah there's the greater tuna stuff there's um um oh what is it called the one the more classic uh one that they've made into movies can't think what it's called Irma Vep. There we go. Oh, yeah. Irma Vep. Yeah. Irma Vep. They do it. I think Stones in His Pockets is another quick yeah. change to player. Yeah. I'm always amazed by those uh, those quick change plays like that. And then I directed one 
because I was like, I was like, how do they, how are they doing this? And then I had to direct one. It was uh, Paula Vogel's, um, oh God, Baltimore Walls. Oh, I don't know. That was a, a multi, multi. Yeah, there's yeah. like 35 scenes and it's all these different characters. Oh, okay. Underdressing, overdressing. Well, you know where you learn to do that is uh, a good children's theater tour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, I used to work for the Traveling Lantern Theater Company, and I went on tour, and then I directed a bunch. And you just learn, like, what's the quickest way to hang this on the back of a door so you can grab it as you're walking by, throw it over your head, put the other hat down, but in a place that you can grab it later when you come back for the quick change again because there's no crew, and it's just yeah. <laughs> Is that the San Jose Rep Group? No, no that's no. Red Ladder, I think. Oh, Red Ladder. Probably. Now, this yeah. was one that just toured all over the country. Two people in a van, multiple wow. iterations of two people, a van, and you're set in costumes in the back of the van. You drive all over the country and you just wow. set up at a school and you do the show and then you drive to another school in another town and you do that show in the afternoon and then you drive to the next town and you get a hotel. Like, wow. it's just cool. It's, yeah, it's churning it out. But a great, <laughs> great training ground for all the, when you have to do that professionally oh, yeah, later for on. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, I just did a play with two characters. I was uh, over at Ohlone College. I did like a guest thing there. And uh, uh-huh. they did uh, Frankenstein. All right. The one from London, the National London, National Theater oh, in London. Oh, the one that was with like Johnny Lee Miller and 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 Engelbert Humperstein. Whatever Benedict it Cumberbatch. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Engelbert Humperstein. <laughs> Whatever I know it took me forever him. to get his name. I used to never be able to say it. Uh, that's a, such a cool script. And I think that was one that they did, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, True West style, which it, yeah. the two actors who made it, where they would perform it on alternate nights as the alternate role. They kept yes. switching the roles back and forth. Yeah. I've seen both of them. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's ama- it's so cool to see how they did everything in their own way. You know, it's a different show. Completely. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But I got to play uh, the blind, the old blind guy, um, uh-huh. DeLacy, who teaches him how to read. Uh-huh. And, uh, and like, he becomes like a son to him. And then he kills my family and me. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I was like, you and the uh, fisherman who digs up the bodies for Frankenstein. Nice that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love a good multi character. So you have a situation. podcast also. I do. I have a podcast that's sort of about comedy and spirituality. It's called uh, All the Answers with Katie Rubin, who is a spiritual healer and stand up comedian and improviser and actor that I work with for, again, years and years and years. And Katie and I have been doing this podcast since right before the pandemic started. We started it right at the end of 2019 and have been going got i don't know 150 episodes out something like that at this point i was just listening to the latest one earlier yeah, it's a lot it's of per- fun she's funny she is very funny <laughs> we get on there we talk rudely we yeah. make dirty jokes and then we get all super spiritual and read somebody's records or ask the guides to help them with a problem whatever Oh, cool. Just, I didn't get to that just, part yet. I'll have to keep yeah, listening. We don't always do that, but that's sort of the focus of the episode, of the show. But if nothing else, we get deeply philosophical about the meaning of life in most episodes. Right on. Yeah. 
Do you enjoy? I, I would like to do this with someone myself, honestly. I, I started this years ago, but I was part of a group called Wave Radio. And we had a lot of listeners because uh, we had people from all walks of life. And we had like one or two episodes a day. And it was just tons of content. It was super interesting. And I had a ton of people. And then the guy dumped it. Like he was afraid of copyright laws and stuff with some uh. music. I thought he was overreacting, but then I found out in England, you got, they actually like jail people for that stuff. So, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I just kept going, but then I lost almost everybody, you know? Yeah. It's hard to keep it going because there isn't money in it until you get to a certain size and start to get any kind of underwriting. So you just got to do it as a labor of love. That's what we've been doing. We have a certain amount of con of followers, but we're not, not enough to get to that next level yet. And we are lucky enough to have a producer slash editor who took us on at the very beginning and he loves the show. So he, he does our publishing, he edits our episodes and puts the music on. And, you know, we invested a little bit at the beginning in like paying for a, someone to write and produce a, a theme song for us. And, um, and that was, you know, so that helps to give us a little bit of credibility and stuff like that. But but lucky to have a person who will take our technical stuff and run with it. So all we have to do is show up and record. Oh yeah. It's so time consuming. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that, I've been doing it myself and I had to take before you, I had been take, I took quite a long break because I just needed a rest from the whole thing. I just, uh, uh, I love doing this part, but you know, when you have to get down and start editing everything and then it's hours and hours of work, especially if you don't do it all the time, like some, right. some of these people do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, it's the nature of the beast, I guess. So how did you uh, become an actor? Like when did you start and did you go to oh, school or? Yeah. Well, uh, the short version is, you know, when you're a kid and you, you're, you're thinking about that idea first appears to you of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like an astronaut or a fireman or a ballerina or whatever it is. I never had another thought besides, Oh, I want to be an actor even though I didn't really know what that entailed or meant. But I also never really thought like, I'm going to be an actor on Broadway or in movies. I just was like, I don't know. I want to be an actor. So, you know, I went to undergrad, Sonoma State, majored in theater there, had some good teachers, went straight to grad school in Kansas City because that's where I got in randomly to, to, a, to an MFA program and got my MFA and, Ended up coming back here after a couple of years and just started hacking away at the, the idea. And it actually was a surprise when I found at a certain point that that's mostly what I was doing was acting. You know, even though that's what I would planned on the whole time, I'd always assumed I would kind of piddle away at it until I gave it up and then went and became a high school teacher or something. <laughs> like that was a fallback. Like that's not a huge major undertaking in and of itself. You know, I wasn't really well informed when I had that thought. But, you know, I had the luck of having some good, you know, people take me on at a certain time. Rich Elliott at the Willows. I was working there as a sort of education and they got into casting there. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Which is a great education as an actor to work in casting, if nothing else, because you just sit through tons of auditions and you start to understand that process a little better. And how arbitrary and impersonal it is, meaning don't take it personally when you don't get it because it has very little to do with you. Oh, I, I know. I, I, it yeah. took me a while to learn that, but uh, especially in the Bay Area, I mean, we're, it's such a, 
how can I say this in a way that's not? <laughs> I don't want to make this sound negative. <laughs> There's a lot, you know, people be, uh, develop deep friendships with people. People work with who they know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I notice it like, um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've noticed so many things like since I've been, like, like even since I joined Equity many years ago, I noticed it's actually better to live in like in the East Bay or San Francisco just because you're tied in more with like more of the people that are doing the stuff. Right. It is very much, it is, it's not just who you know, which they yeah. often will say, oh, it's only who you no, know. No, of it's course not. just not. who you know. You no, got to no, be no. someone people want to work with. Yeah. But then you also need to have those relationships. You know, if I just go and randomly audition at theater works, that may or may not make an impression. Sometimes it will, but it's once that, in a while, that secondary relationship that you've created through some other process or through some other project. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I think, and uh, I think like, like you just said, uh, if you just go randomly uh, audition at theater works, you have to be somebody, you know, usually you have to be somebody who's so perfect for that role that, that right. they have to, they have to cast you. Right. And, and there's and no that, other I, person like you. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you and I are both like white guys of a certain age that have a certain look and a certain type. And that's who we are. So we have to that's and that's great. And there's plenty of roles for that. Like, let's not let's not lie. That's really what most roles are written for. But then how do we stand out from that positioning? Well, I have to tell you, though, I've I've recently moved into the old man category uh, um, and that's happened over the last few years. It kind of happened kind of abruptly during COVID. <laughs> and that is different. I think you're like where I was a yeah. while ago. And yeah, absolutely. I worked all the time. Now, old man, old man stuff <laughs> ain't the same. You'll see. Because <laughs> I'm actually kind of looking forward to that next chunk because I'm in a yeah. spot right now that's almost in the middler. Spot. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot harder. Like women have two positions. It's under 30 and over 55. And right. Like anything in between just doesn't exist, which has got to be maddening. Yeah, that sucks. Our, our yeah. window is a little narrower. So I would yeah. almost like, I mean, I haven't experienced it yet, but I kind of want to get into the older man category. Oh, think, yeah. Right now I'm in that tween where it's like, you're not, you're not quite a, I need young dad or I need yeah old grizzled guy. Yeah, yeah. I remember Willows. I, that's, I think that's where I uh, first knew you from when you, after Probably, you mentioned that. Yeah, because yeah, I used to audition there a lot. I did a couple shows there. I, I really liked that place. Too bad yeah, they, it was just they went down place. the they tubes. They just couldn't quite keep it going. <laughs> they were doing yeah. great for a while. They were. They had a couple of perfect storms of the economic downturns, like in 08. When that hit, it just messed. Their timing oh. was perfectly wrong for certain things oh they I expanded see. right before that in oh, a way yes. that they couldn't sustain the split but then the split had already happened so then uh, they couldn't keep going it was a perfect storm of bad decisions that weren't bad decisions yeah it opened like two other locations and yep. and then and then we had the and then we had the crash yeah right after that yeah and they lost okay. all their funding for a lot of things they lost their lease with the city and yeah it was it was unfortunate. That place was very important to my early career here at the, in the, in the Bay area. Did you ever uh, work in New York or LA? 
Not really. No. no. I mean, I've worked in like Sacramento and Carmel and, you know, the greater, greater Bay Area, but not, I haven't really worked much beyond that. How did you, um, how did you decide to come to the San Francisco area well, as an actor? Born in Oakland, but I didn't grow up here, but I spent a lot of my growing up years here. And then, um, and then my folks actually were living out here. And so I had a lot of, and my brother, my family was still here. So when I finished in Kansas city, came back here for a minute. And then I went to New Mexico for a minute because that's where I had actually grown up. And I moved there with a girlfriend. And then when we split up, I was like, I guess I'm going back to California. I never really had the gumption to try New York or LA. And it felt like gumption. I should have, I kind of resent, regret that. But then I started to just, slowly build a decent enough career here in the Bay area. Um, you know, kind of chipped away at it, you know, with working in education and in casting and doing a lot of shows at a few theaters. And then at some point about, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe wait, 13. Yeah. 15 years ago or so, I sort of took the leap joined the union, quit my comfortable job that was limiting what I could do anywhere else, and then just sort of dove in and hope for the best. And I have been up until like night 2019, I was pretty solidly doing it. I was working. I would say I was one of the, you know, you look at things as I always think of it as like concentric rings on like a merry-go-round and you have the people in the center of the merry-go-round or the, just the like, you know, company members at a theater who are always just no problem. They're always working and they're always there. And you have a few rings out of people who work pretty consistently, maybe not all the time. And I always felt like I was one of the guys, I was on that merry-go-round, but I was kind of holding on to the edges of it. And my feet were kind of flying out, but I was still on that <laughs> merry-go-round because I know there are people who would look at me and go, what are you kidding? You work all the time. Yeah, I, I do. I look at you that way. Right. And uh, yeah, I, look I, at, I think it's I look great. At someone else and I go, that person works all the time. They work yeah, you way can always. That's do. the problem in entertainment. You can always compare yourself to other people and say it's what's really better hard. and what isn't. It's like a big trap you don't want to get into. Now, that being said, it's been a little challenging. I have not been able to restart that much since things started to slowly reopen. I won't say post COVID we aren't there yet, but, <laughs> or, or, you know, in this moment where things are happening again, but I, this is, this will be the first show I've done since basically. And I'm really grateful to the process. I'm really enjoying the process itself is a joy. It's good medicine. I got to say, Ray, I, 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 I go to, Go to rehearsal, like something's gone wrong that day. I've had a bad day. I was stressed out about something. Something really went wrong. Run through the scene one time. And I'm like, I'm good. Especially if it's a, it's, I guess it's a really well-written play. It's a well-written play. Yeah. And, and you it's like the people of, you work with? I love the people I'm working with. And I don't say that lightly because that is not a given. We have a good time at rehearsal. We have our, our challenges are like, you know, um, Aaron can no longer speak, for example. As a director, I know it's a, but like, I say this not to wallow in any kind of like tragedy story. It's just more like, oh, well, that's another piece of the puzzle, right? 
like, cause there's could, we could have this whole other story about, Oh, this story of this director who's doing this thing and it's her, you know, and she's suffering. No, that's not the story. The story is we show up to rehearsal. Aaron's like, when I'm doing a jet and I'm on a podcast. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, gestures like let's do it again. And then she has Alicia, her, her assistant director leaning over and reading her notes out loud for oh, her. So great. Like, having a conversation kind of like, you know, if you were working with a, with a deaf director who needed an interpreter, it's, you know, it's just a, it's just a factor and that's all it is. And it's so, but because of that, there's a lot more like attention and focus in the group. We're very attentive to each other more than we would be often. We are not, we're not just messing around. Oh, whatever. We're like, we got to focus. We got to be kind with our focus and with each other and patient. Um, but also that means the director has a lot of trust for the actors because she can't control us as well as some directors might, you know, interrupting and saying, okay, let's do that. Again. You know, she has to be thoughtful about what do I want to waste time on typing right now? So it's just the, the perfect thought. And boy, it's, a, it's, it's great. I think it's going to create a very good show. She, you know, they say the first thing you've got to do in, in a play is, is uh, casting, right? The best, surround yourself with the right people. And then the, let yeah. them do all the work. Oh, yeah, for Most sure. Gosh, it's, such a, it's like 70%, I'd say. Of the, it really is. And, yeah. And then just hopefully everybody is... is um, and it's not necessarily pointed. saying like, the, the, like because they're talent. No, it's more just like you got to you want to make sure you have the right mix of the people that are going to fit like the story. Exactly. And the exactly. way you want to tell it, you know. And who's uh, and you know just to get more and like work ethic. about it. Yeah, and also but also just vibe off each other. For sure. Like there might yeah. be someone who's a super talented actor and it's great to work with another actor, but if I get on stage with them we just kind of go blah, blah. Yeah. You know, just run into each other, stumble on each other. I I, I, mean, I cast I won't say what play or anything, whatever, but I cast this guy once he was, his audition was incredible. And this is like only my third play directing or something. So I didn't really have this yet. And I'm like, I got to cast him. But I, I didn't look at the warning signs during the audition, you know? Yep. And, and when I look back, I'm like, ah, that, it was all there. You got to yep. pay attention. You got to trust. But sometimes you're like, oh, but they're so perfect for this role. But then yeah, you realize yeah. the reason they're perfect for this nut job role is they're <laughs> a nut job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I had that. I mean, I was, I was like one of those company members. Like, I had started a theater with some people like 20 years ago. And, you know, I was doing like most of my work there. And then, uh, that fell away for various reasons. And now I'm, a, and then also I was doing a lot of like 42nd street moon. Cause I had a good relationship with Greg and mm -hmm. then he left, you know? And so now I'm one of those people <laughs> right. who are trying to, uh, God, you know, sometimes at my age, I'm like, yeah, I'm 61 years old now. I'm like, what am I doing? But have you ever like written anything? Have you ever written a play? I really, or, I, no? I, I keep that is a question that comes up a lot, and I have not found my, haven't found my voice in that way yet. Like even as a director, I've only started directing again recently. I directed the Thirty Nine Steps last summer because I had done five other productions of that play. It was finally time for me to direct it because I know it, and I had a blast doing it. But like even finding the right vehicle for my voice is is a challenge i realize and right. so like 
have everyone's always saying you got to write you got to write you got to write i'm like what do i write i don't know what to write i don't have anything to say i like saying other people's words or or even as a director i was mostly i would often be what i would call a show doctor like you do the hard work let me come in and make it good like i'll come in and make the scenes funny or i'll work the comic timing but you got to do the the grunt work of just putting the show together. <laughs> like that's not my, and that's what I think of writing to me feels like grunt work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It is hard. It is hard. I, I, I have a, my, I have a great grand uncle who was, who tried to become a famous singer in New York from Italy. And he feels like he, he, he never made it. And he wrote uh-huh. this memoir and I went to Italy and got it in the library a couple years ago. And in Florence and I scanned it and I, I'm almost done translating it and I'm going to do, I'm going to write like a one man show uh, uh, of this guy. Um, there's plenty of material there to work on. So nice. I'm looking forward yeah, to that. If you, if you have the inspiration, it would be a great thing to be able to do. You have to have the inspiration. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you said, have it's to a have lot of the growing. drive for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do have, I got to say one of the reasons I'm enjoying this show is I have certain like, secret giddy fantasies so it's like if i wrote a play what would if i wrote something for myself what would i do and i'd always thought that i would do like a noir or something because i've always wanted to play like a detective or something just because that's just <laughs> that's a giddy fantasy that no one ever cast me as yeah right? yeah, and yeah so i'm actually getting to do that in this play so i get to be an agent i get to be jack bauer you know 24 energy of like questioning a suspect and things like that. And that's, so that's just giddy, goofy ball fun for me. But I think probably I, if I could write, I would write like a good heist or caper type story. Cause I don't think there's very many in theater, no. like clever twist heists, you know, old David Mamet style stuff, uh, you know, like the Spanish prisoner or something like that, or hustle. Hustle heist con men. That's more con than I'm talking. There's a lot of movies, but not a lot of plays. Yeah, that would be interesting. But it, yeah. that takes also an incredibly brilliant mind. You need someone <laughs> who, who sees things in the incredible way. You need a Chris Chen to write a really good whodunit. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, 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 oh, my God, my brain. Watson, uh, <laughs> oh, the Watson, Sherlock Holmes. The, oh, yeah, yeah, of the Sherlock Holmes, right? And there are Sherlock Holmes plays, but that's more. It's not so much of the secret reveal. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so how did how did Erin find all you guys? How did she cast the show? I think she did about probably sixty percent of it was her casting people that she just knew and wanted to work with. She reached out to me. I've known Aaron since 1998, you know, maybe something like that. And she has even deeper roots than that in the Bay Area. So she's known a lot of these people for 30 years. You know, I think she's known Bob about that long, if not about as long as me, if not longer, uh, Bob Green. Um, and so, so she, I think, and she'd done some readings of this play before. I had done a reading in 2019. I think Bob's been in a couple of them. Uh, Anthony Sestaro has been in two of them, but not the one I did in 2019. So she's done three different like developmental readings of this play. 
So she had the people who'd done that, but then it gets more specific in terms of like who you, you need to have more specific. There's some characters at the end. There's a scene, an international scene where you have a Brazilian uh, woman, uh, a Chinese guy, a Russian guy. Mm-hmm. So you have to be a little more like hone in on what you're looking for, for those folks. Um, uh, Livia happens to actually be Brazilian. Um, and I think she had done a reading of it prior to, I think she and I were in the reading together. So a lot of it was just bringing those people together. We still auditioned, but more from the point of view of like, is this going to work? I think it's going to work. Yes, this will work. And actually I was supposed to play just the journalist in another role, but then somebody's availability changed. So she ended up giving me a larger two roles to cover for that while she found the person to cover the more specific role, like things like that, just like that's how theater is, you know? Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. yeah. You, you get, you go really careful about it. And then at the last minute you go, oops, but also this, and then move this over here, chessboard there, <laughs> hey, that'll work. I know. I know. So, uh, now the right. This is a world premiere, right? Mm-hmm. It's never been done at a full production. And uh, is the writer involved? Uh, he hasn't been involved with our production, uh, Gordon Dahlquist, but he is like he's an old friend of Aaron's. They also went to school together, and so you know that's one of the reasons he's been championing this show. He'll be he'll be here for opening and stuff, but he hasn't been, you know, like attending rehearsals or making rewrites or anything. The show's pretty well baked. We might have requested like one or two tiny word changes. And that's it. And those were approved, of course, because, you know, it's not precious. But um, we still requested them because you got to do what they send you. That's the rule. And um, so, yeah, Gordon Dahlquist, uh, it is the first time the show has ever actually been fully produced. So it is a world premiere. And so people can just go to, how do people find tickets? I can put it in the notes, but. Uh, That's true, fine. But the easiest way to find tickets, I think, is just go to Eventbrite and search for Tea Party or Tea Party at the Strand. But Tea Party, Gordon Dahlquist, Aaron Merritt. Um, yeah. But if they just search for Tea Party on, I mean, then they don't want to go to some random Tea Party that someone's charging tickets for maybe that would <laughs> be a thing a tea so party I'm, i don't know but the play is literally just called tea party and the production company is one of our own theater which was formed because we are putting the show on for one of our own um and, that's great um, that she used the uh the equity uh what is, what is it called it's um, called the equity production no equity member code yes yes MPC membership production code. That's what it's called. Membership production code or member production code. And that allows, yeah, it allows equity actors to basically sign on as the producers of a, of a piece. Um, It's a one-time thing. You don't do it for any established theater company because that would be abusing that because, you know, one of the deals with equity is we need to be, like everyone should be frankly paid at least minimum wage to, Put in our time and do our work but every once in a while you have a, a project that needs doing and so for something like that well okay do you want to produce it great then you produce it which means you don't have the same rules restricting you in terms of uh being an employee because you are actually one of the producers but it also gives us more power and say in how things go because we are part of the of the production team. And so, yeah, every member 
there are several equity actors, equity members on this show, and everybody is is part of the team putting it together. But mostly we're just doing our job as actors, which is really nice to be able to do. Other people are doing the grunt work that we don't want to do. <laughs> well, it's great that the union has, uh, you know, has emphasized that over the yeah. last 10 years or so. And yeah, because they've had to change some of the rules around because they were recognizing that there were a lot of established theater companies, especially in L.A., who were using basically what looked like waivers to say, oh, yeah, equity actors come and be in our show. But they would do it year after year and spend millions on building a new theater and not pay their actors anything. But the actors were saying, oh, it's fine. I want to do it. It's fine. I want to do it. That's the problem with actors. Right. We'll say, we'll do it. (laughs) But what was happening is that actually became illegal because you can't work for less than minimum wage if you are an employee of something. And so they had to get rid of those codes that were allowing for that. And this is a slight variation on that same code, but it allows for it to happen like once in a while. Yeah, it's a one-off thing. You can't establish a a theater company off of it. Uh, Right. If one of our own theater became a company, we can no longer use it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's a one-time deal. Yeah, yeah. 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 Great. But it Uh, it allows for a community event to occur, which is what this is. Well, now with the union, we have the uh, the open access made permanent. Anybody can join. Yeah. They made it permanent. I thought that oh. was kind of weird. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't have strong opinions about it because I can see both sides of it. But for the listeners, what that means is it used to be you had to go through a process to join the union, either earn weeks at a union house doing working on shows as a non-union actor enough to qualify, or you had to join by being offered. A, it was a whole process. And now it's like, if you can prove that you're an actor, you can pay us a few thousand dollars and join the union. Boom. And now you can't work unless you're in, in a union show. Boom. I mean, the only, the issue I have with them making it permanent is anytime you make anything permanent, you're not a, uh, accounting for the fact that the, the environment can change again. So, like, it, what exactly. it reminded me of is when SAG made it permanent that the cable companies don't have to pay residuals. Oh, yeah. That's a terrible permanent Yeah, choice. and so I'm like, okay, there was another permanent that didn't work. Why? I just don't understand why you would make anything right. permanent. Right. Couldn't you sunset it? Couldn't you have it be, okay, let's renew it for two more years. Exactly. And that's revisit what, it. Renew yeah. it for two more years and revisit it. Yeah, that's what I just didn't understand, and I yeah, still don't understand. <laughs> but I don't have any say in any of it. No, it's, I mean, you kind of do. I kind of could bit. just voice my opinion. But right. I mean, you know. could. You could somehow get elected to one of the, you could be a a delegate. That's a lot of work. Oh my God. I'm so glad people want to do that. What a labor of love that is. (laughs) What a labor of love. (laughs) Yeah. The people who become uh, officials in our union. So anyway, uh, it's Billy. Great talking to you. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to seeing this show. It sounds like. Yeah. March 2nd through the 19th. It's only three weeks, just three weeks. That's it. Four shows, 12 total performances. It's not that many. Um, Thursday through uh, Sunday. Is that what it is? Thursday through Sunday. Sundays are a matinee. I think they're at three, but I'm not sure. San Francisco uh, at the Strand Theater. On Market Street. On Market Street. Yeah. And just go to 
the best thing to do is just find it on um find it on on eventbrite but you can also find the event on facebook you can also uh go to aaron merritt's website that has aaronmerritt.com yeah i'll put the links in the notes and uh, merritt with two r's two t's okay yeah yeah i have all the press release stuff so great well we we hope hope you make it out there Uh, let me know when you're coming yeah i'm probably going to come opening i think it'd be fun yeah yeah absolutely i think it's going to be i think i think the I think the people are going to turn out for this one because you know we've we've all been hearing about it. We're excited about it. People are excited to see the show, and so I'm hoping we get a lot of good turnout on this one. And also, I'm really excited that Aaron, uh, you know, felt the the you know the the need and did this. Uh, yeah. Given her situation, I mean, what what yeah. what gusto she has. I mean, it's that's, absolutely yeah, it's and, it's inspiring, and there's yeah. no there's. Like there's no tragedy story in running in the background. It's just like let's just do this. It's wonderful. Work. And, and then and then the way you're telling me that she's directing, I think it's just incredible. Yeah, just incredible. it's its own. It's its own separate story. Yeah, like yeah. It's a, and to be honest, we are actually there is a documentary being made about the process. So hopefully awesome. that'll turn into something. Ah, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it's, all right. it's all very exciting, and I'm I'm having a blast. So I I hope we get to see you out there. If you do come. And you want to make sure you're seeing, uh, like I said, Ryan will be doing a few of the performances. So if you're coming to see me specifically, yeah, yeah make sure reach yeah. out. Look, at, well, look you'll around. be there on opening, right? I will definitely be yeah. there on opening. Like the first weekend, are you getting weekend? Okay, all through all through the first opening weekend, I'll okay. definitely be performing okay. in every show. All right. Um, after that, it's a little different, but not a ton, but just a few. So because also you should go see Ryan. If you're not going to see me, go see Ryan. Find out when he's performing because he's maybe I'll go see you both times. Right. Yeah. Why not come twice? There you go. Everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Cassidy. Great talking to you. Thanks, Ray. Have a great one. Well, that was Cassidy Brown. I always enjoy speaking with people I've known in the Bay Area for so many years who've contributed so much to our wonderful theater community here. And Cassidy is one of them, without a doubt. So go see his play, Tea Party. Runs for three weekends, Thursday through Sunday, starting this Thursday. And that's uh, March 2nd for three weekends at the Strand Theater in San Francisco. Thanks so much for listening today, folks. If you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcast or Spotify and give a, a fair rating of five stars. <laughs> and also, if uh, you have any friends who enjoy listening to podcasts or who you would like to introduce to podcasts, please spread the word about this podcast. The more people I have listening, the more content I can produce and the more we can expand into different areas. So I really appreciate uh all of your support and your your listens and all of you out there who are my regular listeners. I love you and I love all you new listeners too. You're the best. If you have any uh information you'd like to send me or any questions, just send an email to Ray Renati at gmail dot com. R A Y R-E-N-A-T-I-R-A-Y-R-E-N-A-T-I at gmail.com. 
All right. Thanks so much. And until next time, I will see you on the boards. Have a great day, everybody. Peace. We all just try to be heard. Try to make our mark in this world. So stand up straight and speak loud. And in the end, I'm sure you'll do them proud. Everything will come through. It depends on all that you choose. Now raise your spirit to the sky. Cause it's time for us to read.